we'd like to welcome you to the Institute's Leading Edge, a show dedicated to helping the automotive aftermarket service industry. Today's episode is all about boosting your production. Let's get the work done and then some. Here's what's coming up. You know, we actually don't schedule it by the hours per guy per day. We actually schedule it by the uh, car count to check. We try to get 15 cars in here every day this year because we know that we can get, with our size of crew, we can get 15 checked and estimated and called and sold by noon. That's kind of our big goal this year. We know that we sell more work if we're calling customers before noon. We're actually filling our schedule and convincing our customers to drop off the night before first thing in the morning so that we have all our cars here early, get them all ran through the process, checked, bid, sold, parts coming by noon, and then we got the rest of the day to just For a better business, a better life, and a better industry, the Institute's Leading Edge. Welcome to the Leading Edge. Uh, This would be episode number 26. Uh, We're going to be talking about increasing uh, production in the shop and uh, sponsored by the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. And we have online with us uh, Eric Schwedberg. Eric has a shop in Virginia Beach and does fantastically. Uh, we have Bill Adams. Uh, Bill is in Castro Valley in California. And we have Tom Lambert with us. And Tom is in, uh, what's the city, Tom? Layton. Layton, Utah. Uh, very close to the Institute. Uh, and uh, Tom actually uh, actually even uh, works with, with us at the Institute. So, um Uh, Today we're going to talk about increasing production, Uh, and I think there's probably a couple of things that we need to get clear as far as verbiage goes. Uh, If we talk about productivity, uh, in in my vocabulary, productivity is hours produced by a technician in a time frame. Uh, So if I have a tech that works eight hours a day, does that technician actually produce eight hours that I can bill out uh, to a customer? Uh, We have a word called efficiency. In my book, efficiency means that if the technician is working on the car, uh, how many hours does he produce when he's actually working on the car? So uh, with efficiency, um, cell phone usage, uh, breaks, uh, bathroom breaks, stopping to talk, none of that's included. Uh, With productivity, that's included. So just want to be clear about that. Um, I've always looked at productivity as the measurement of success in my business and in the businesses that I've run, how many hours did my technician produce? Um, what, what do you look at as a measure of success for your technicians? I think productivity is the biggest hammer we can yield when we look at that. That's, I view it the same way. I look at efficiency as almost something that it, it scares me when shops measure efficiency. And when they're looking at is that technician working on a car for eight hours a day? Well, if not, why not? That's that's crazy talk to me. And productive, I want my guys to be 9, 10, 11 hours in their eight-hour day. We plan for that. We sell for that. I think that's one of the biggest levers we push each and every day in our job. I think there are, I think there are many consultants that look at efficiency, and I think the, the thought process is if – the tech is not working on a car and they're doing something else. What is that? Can we identify it? Can we get rid of it so that they're mainly working on cars? Um, I get it. I understand it. I just don't think it's the true measurement. I think the real measurement is how many hours did they produce? That's how I get paid. Right. Um, So go ahead, Eric. um, I mean, I, I think about efficiency a lot. I think when I look at efficiency, it's driving productivity. So therefore, you know, if I'm efficient with my technicians, if they have the tools they need, if they have the parts they need, if they have the small little body clips, wherever it might be, and they're efficient, it seems to help drive productivity as well. So they can get more hours produced. And I, my thought is that productivity is a broader measurement. So like right. I, I will look at average repair order, because average repair order then tells me, I mean, if we have a good average repair order, it means we're bringing the right customers in. It means that uh, we're doing a good inspection. It means that my sales guy is able to sell. So average repair order is a bigger number that I look at that tells me five different things. Um, and to me, productivity is that same bigger number. If my guys are productive, then they are, by definition, efficient. Right. Um, and so that's that's what I look at. Tom, what what is your judge of success for your staff? 
Well, in regards to productivity, so as far as technicians, obviously productivity is the number we work with uh, the most and, uh, and comeback rate, obviously, uh, is something we watch close. We notice once we start pushing past a certain mark of productivity, we can see a relation to comeback start to go up. So we try to have a good balance of extremely high productivity numbers and really low comeback numbers and make adjustments as needed if uh, any number takes a spike or goes down. So, I always felt if we did more than 125% productivity, uh, that's about 10 hours a day um, in, in productivity that we started to see um, comebacks spike up. Uh, guys cut the wrong corners. Um, yeah. All right, so now that we have some some definition as to what we're talking about, um, the the whole uh, podcast here is really about increasing production, and I think the guys would like to know what what are your killers for production? What are the things that you've had to fight against that have? Uh, first of all, um, <clears throat> what's your normal production? How many hours uh, do your technicians normally produce in a normal day in your business on average? Uh, in my business, it was 119%, uh, about 9.5 hours a day is what my guys produce regularly. Um, Eric, what's your, what's your number? Right now, we're averaging 110, 109% okay. for the okay. year. So about 8.8 8. 8 hours or so uh, per day. Uh, um, we're, we're here 8.5 hours, okay. so therefore a little bit over a little nine. higher. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and Tom, what's your number uh, for productivity? We're, we're hovering right at 100%. Uh, we work nine hours a day, so we produce 45 hours every day. And uh, I'm kind of an oddball. I actually run my shop a little differently than I coach because I've got, I've got three techs that are just huge hour producers, and then I've right. got two techs primarily checking vehicles, and then as they sell, we feed them over to the three animals. We call them on the other side of the shop. So I've kind of got two guys that spend most of their day checking and diagnosing and I've got three, what you would call almost parts changers, just knocking out hours after hours that kind of, so when it all averages out, uh, we stay right at that 100% mark. And okay. then as soon as we get much above that, I add another body so that we can kind of stay at that 100 because that, be that seems to be the sweet spot for me with the way my process works with the crew okay. I've got. And, and I think when you look at 72% being the industry average, if I'm running at 100, I'm feeling pretty good about that. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Bill, what, what's your normal productivity right now in your shop? We're running between 107 and 115, depending on the tech. Okay. Um, we run a lot like Tom, where we, uh, I call it like a point guard setup or a spoken hub, uh, where you'll have your diagnostician and your, um, checker. So checking the vehicles, kicks it back to the advisors, sell it, get it back to the animals that can, uh, that can kill the hours. We've got some really good animals. That's interesting. Um, and, and I think the text might be upset if we said animals, um, but, but I think that means that they're just really great at what they do and they can really, they are. Yeah. um, all right. So I, I wanted to have that, uh, uh, brief conversation to kind of set the stage for some of this, cause all of you guys are running, um, you know, you, you are producing very well. You have good production in your shops. Uh, it might be the reason that Kent got you on here. Um, or, or that you guys were just the ones, the poor SOBs that said yes. Um, but, but I think, you know, um, I also know all three of you fairly intimately uh, as far as your business goes. And, and I know that it wasn't always that way. So, you know, what, what were the killers uh, uh, to your productivity? What did, I know where you were before. It wasn't 100%. It wasn't 110%. Um, what, what were the things that you had to deal with and, and how did you deal with them? And let's uh, let's start with um, let's start with Tom. Tom, what was one of your top killers of production, and wh what did you do to make the difference? Uh, my biggest killer was my scheduling. Uh, I uh, I had to cut car count almost in half and uh, get rid of waiters. Waiters <laughs> will oh, no waiters no waiters around here. Uh, waiters will destroy your productivity and. Uh, and then, honestly, just to overbooking, um, I was booking. Uh, we just kind of had a free-for-all schedule, honestly, cram as much in as we could. Now we've got very specific work mix that we fill in every day. So we only take uh, – uh, we've got everything color-coded on our schedule, so only four yellows, uh, you know, only four greens or whatever for different categories. So we make sure we have the right mix of uh, – 
you know, small stuff we consider health checks, oil changes, emissions and safeties. Uh, those are all small. So we will, we'll take a max of four of those a day and then the rest, you know, and then we'll only take, you know, three or four, you know, uh, high, high level diagnostic jobs. And then we fill the rest of the schedule with what we call the gravy, you know, the, in the middle breaks and AC work and overheats and tow ins and all that. So do you, do you guys schedule um, eight hours for each of your guys per day. You know, we actually don't schedule it by the hours per guy per day. We actually schedule it by the uh, car count to check. We try to get 15 cars in here every day this year because we know that we can get with our size of crew, we can get 15 checked and estimated and called and sold by noon. That's kind of our big goal this year. We know that uh, we sell more work if we're calling customers before noon. Um, so we're actually filling our schedule and convincing our customers to drop off the night before first thing in the morning so that we have all our cars here early, get them all ran through the process, check, bid, sold, parts coming by noon, and then we got the rest of the day to just tear it up. So. Okay, so what, what you're doing is you know how your shop runs, and you may be only be scheduling half the time or two-thirds of the time, but you know you're going to find and sell additional work. Oh yeah, we okay. yeah we sell. That's the thing. If you book somebody for a a one hour job, we know on average that turns into a four hour job. That's what our average hour per RO is. You know, so we know we just know that if we just keep a consistent car count and a consistent work mix, that it all works out in the end. As soon as there's some kind of pattern failure, we'll we'll readjust. But as of now, that's working beautiful for us. Okay, and then I, I just want to make something really clear. You did say that you had to cut your car count down to be more productive in your shop. Oh yeah, yeah. I call it pre-Cecil era, right? We had we had twenty something cars. I had I I had half the processes in place, half the crew in place. Yet did twice as many cars. Yeah. So um, uh, last last year we did what thirteen cars a day and touched two point eight, almost two point nine million with just that low of a car count with the size crew I got. So right. that's, that's, that's my model. I make a much more efficient business. Yeah. 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 Just a okay. more balance. So. All right. Let's go to, let's go to bill. Bill. What, what, what was the thing that was affecting your productivity? Um, it'll be interesting. I, I think I know one of the answers anyway, but I don't think you'll say that one. Um, what, what, what was the thing that was affecting your productivity and what did you have to do to, 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 to solve that problem? Well, in the PCE, the pre-Cecil era, um, we were a lot like Tom. We're going after everything we can get, and it was all about car count. It was all about throughput. And what Eric said is, I think it's true. We look at efficiency, but efficiency is something that's on my plate and on my general manager's plate. Um, the productivity is on my service advisor's plate. Their one job is to keep my technicians busy nine, ten hours a day. They're supposed to be able to feed that. If they don't, if there's things that are impeding that, then that becomes my problem. I want to make sure that the phones are ringing, we're getting the right quality of vehicles in there. And back to what Tom said, getting the cars inspected and turned, that is some of the secret sauce that I think we have and that I think are your top shops will have. And uh, you can't be calling somebody at 4 o'clock in the afternoon with a $4,000 estimate and they want it by 5. So creating, creating that yeah. culture is so important to getting the cars checked and out. We use a lot of a, uh, a doctor's office model um, where we'll do, our, uh, we'll do our office visits in the morning and we do surgery in the afternoon for a lot of our, for a lot of our shops, a lot of our cars that we, we work on. That's kind of the model we work on where everything is checked out by 10, 11 o'clock. We get it sold by noon. And then our advisors are project managing in the afternoon, making sure everybody's happy, customers are happy, the technicians are happy, have all their parts. And then we, we manage the flow, getting it out. But culling the herd, we continually do that. Um, we've, we have a phenomenal car count, but the balance is bringing in the really good customer that wants premium level service and helping people that aren't ready for us to feed some of the other shops that we'd like to see die in our community. Okay. Did I say and, that? Okay. <laughs> yeah, well. You know, while we'd like to be friends with everybody, there are people in our business that we think should change their model, and yep. uh, and they do make it difficult for us to be in business. And I can understand. I just don't really want them in my 
in my in my work. Uh, so I, I get that, um, Eric. What what was one of the things that was uh, you feel was holding you guys back, and what did you have to do to to fix it? Well, you're going to love this one. <laughs> um, I'm going to go straight to basics, and maybe a lot of people that are watching this, you know, broadcast might appreciate this. But getting a coach and understanding the numbers is what. The secret sauce was for me. I thought I was doing a great job before coach. And, you know, I was successful, but I don't think I was as successful as I could be. So when I understood the numbers fully, what to look at, what numbers to divide out, look at on a graph, look at on a spreadsheet, that's what changed everything. Then I could take that and really kick into high gear. And then once you kick, go ahead. I love that. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> that's really good for me uh, and Tom. Um, but what when you were able to see the picture better, right, sure. of the business, um, I, I kind of liken it unto diagnosing a car. You know, in in uh, when the first uh, OBD systems came out, there wasn't much to diagnose them. There wasn't anything out there, and you kind of went by braille, right? Um, by uh, you know, I kind of know that when a car does this, it's running lean and uh, and the way it smells and blah, blah, blah. So I'm going to try this. And and you did the trial and error method a lot more. Today, you you diagnose because you have data and you're able to, to find it faster, fix it faster, uh, et cetera. When you were able to see the numbers better for your business, what were the what were the numbers telling you and, and then what did you do? Because I know that you guys weren't as efficient or as productive as you are now. Um, so what, what did the numbers tell you? Well, you could, you could fine tune. So therefore, um, once you're seeing the numbers, you know, you can immediately start to see, do I have a marketing problem? Do I have a car count problem? Do I have a um, too few technicians? Do I have too many technicians? Do I have too few service advisors? Um, is the ARO too low. Um, hours per per ticket, too low. And so then you fine tune and then you fine tune, fine tune, fine tune. And each month gets a little better. And then, you know, you hit a brick wall and then all of a sudden it might fall flat on its face, but then you go back and you look at the numbers again, see what happened and then move forward and power through. Make the adjustment. That's, that's what we do. Yeah. Um, so I had a thought while you were talking, and that's what happens when you get white hair. Um, it, it, it went away. Um, it'll come back to me. Um, uh, so I know there's a lot of shops out there that are probably not hitting their targets, in, you know, and they'd like to increase their productivity. Obviously, with 72% being the industry's average, we know it's costing shops tens of thousands of dollars. What, what would be the one thing that you would tell shops to take a look at and uh, and then what if it's that one thing, and you had experience with it? What what do they do? Um, uh, I think I could I think I could probably name ten things. Um, I think one of the things, obviously, Tom, is if I have too many cars coming and going, I'm pulling techs off of cars. We're you know we're having a better average of peer order. Oh, I know what it was. Here it is. Um, remember that that question because it's going to come back up. Um, Shop owners will say, but the car only needs what the car needs. Uh, you know, some shop owners right now are saying, wow, Tom, you have a, you know, four hours a car average of pair order. You must be ripping people off or, or something like that. And then other shop owners, Eric, would say, but I can't fine tune because I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, I don't know who's going to come in. I don't know what jobs they're going to need. Um, so, Tom, answer the ripping people off question, and then when you're done with that, we'll go to Eric and have him answer the, you know, how do I, how do I, I can't control that, so how do I, how do I adjust that? Go ahead, Tom. Yeah, so first of all, yeah, no, uh, definitely, I, I believe, I believe 95% of our industry is, is good, good people, people aren't ripping people off, uh, every car, every car, no matter who built it, who drove it, uh, period just needs a decent amount of work so we're inspections that's how that's where it starts as far as keeping high hours per ro and high average repair order your technicians got to have a good inspection process and they got to do the process every, car, every vehicle right. every time every car, no matter who built it and uh 
if you do that, you, we got an average opportunity of, you know, over $2,500 this year, because that's what the average vehicle we're bringing in needs. We sell less than 50% of that because that's the stuff that's most pressing. We find that there's about 40% of that $2,500 average that uh, people really need. So, uh, so as long as your techs are doing your inspections, uh, your advisors are estimating all that work and presenting the work, you will sell an average of about $800 in four hours per, per RO. And no, that is not ripping anybody off. That's telling people exactly what they need on their car. Isn't there something uh, to be said for, you know, I should be really looking this car over and telling, for me, it was always, I kind of felt like my primary job in business was to take care of that car. And if that car was going to break, uh, if there's anything wrong today, or if there was going to be anything wrong in say the next five months or so, I needed to find it and talk to the customer about it. Um, because I didn't want my customers coming in on a tow truck. Right. Um, I think the best shops have higher average repair orders. I think the more productive shops have higher average repair orders. Uh, I think the other thing that you would look at with more productive shops is I think owners are aware they're looking at the numbers, they're fine tuning, they're fine tuning, they're fine tuning. And I think, uh, especially in this, in this, you know, group, uh, you guys have really, you know, worked on that and you really, uh, you really fine tune your businesses. Um, Eric, um, yes. what, what about, this is just going to come in. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, I have no control over that. Uh, how do I fine tune that if I have no control over it? I think in a lot of businesses, there's ups and downs. I mean, if you go into a McDonald's and get in line and you're the only person in line, by the time you get your burger, there might be 15 people in line. It, it's up and down. And so if you're fine tuning your business, you can look at the law of averages. You know, do you, you might have one or two slow days. So yes, you know, I guess that makes sense. I don't know what's coming in tomorrow. But if you look at a year's worth of data, I mean, that wouldn't be true. You know how many cars on average is coming in a month. So you can fine tune, like you said, you can bump up your marketing, you can change the number of employees. Um, as far as shop meetings, I know this is exactly what you were talking about, but if you get everyone on board, have shop meetings, have all your techs, all your service advisors and the owner and, and manager all on the same page, productivity will go up. It just goes hand in hand. So if you're, it, it, it sounds like what you're saying is, if I'm really paying attention, and we're having those normal meetings where we're we're trying to solve these problems where things aren't going where they need to be, that I'm likely to be more productive in my business uh, because we're solving those issues. For sure. Uh, we have Steve Roberts who says, um, you know, they have a pretty high average period at seven seventy one. Uh, it depends on the type of business. I don't know what type of business Steve runs. Um, but they're only 67% uh, in their efficiency. Um, uh, four guys, 21.5 hours a day, instead of four guys, at least 32 hours. Um, so, um, Bill, what, what would you tell uh, someone like Steve, who's got you know pretty good average repair order, but uh, um, his efficiency isn't as good as it, as it ought to be? <clears throat> I would probably go back and look at, you know, back to what Eric said earlier, that's where I think our efficiencies come in. What is what is the limiting factor? What is, is Are they not getting parts on time? Are we allowing cars to sit on racks? Do cars come in to get inspected and then sit there for hours until we get parts? Those are just big no-nos in our, in our world. I mean, those racks got to turn and burn. I put as much pressure on the rack to turn as much as I do as the technician it, because they've worked in the same. Uh, they're, they're virtually the same things. How much productivity can you get through? And coming back, you got to measure it. And everybody's got to know what you're measuring. And they got to know why you're measuring it. What is the definition of success? If our definition of success is um, we got four hours on an RO, that's great. But if I'm paying you eight hours a day and you're producing six, somebody's stealing. And nobody's intending to do that, but reality there's something broken in there, and that comes right back to ownership. I think there's this idea, um, at least for me, where I want to continually kind of look at everything and go, okay, what? It's kind of why not? That's my question. Why not? Why are we not hitting, you know, nine hours? Why are we not, 
you know, why are we not, why don't we have a, you know, an $800 average repair order? Why, why not? Why not? Why not? Um, and I think you guys, at least in, in, in again, in, on, on this panel, you're kind of why not guys too. Um, you've looked at that, you've watched it, you've, you've solved uh, these problems in your business. Um, Tom, what would you tell a guy like Steve? I mean, they have uh, poor efficiency for techs. It's probably costing him a hundred grand a year. Um, what, what would you tell him? Well, would need to help him diagnose it. I, I don't, I don't know. So obviously that's odd to have a high average repair order and such low productivity. So there's something else going on. Uh, there's a, there's a long waiting period in between jobs. Uh, so I would probably start scrutinizing the advisors a little bit, uh, you know, parts. I know for me, usually if I've got a down day, I can usually tie it back to one of my advisors selling a lot of work, but then, uh, slacking off on rounding up parts in a timely manner or misordering or something like that. So just kind of have to, going to have to dissect it a little bit. If I'm looking at his number at, at, at almost 3.4 hours of vehicle, now I'm wondering about the effective labor rate. Are we actually getting uh, enough labor out of the car or is this a big uh, portion of parts? I mean, what's the parts yeah. to labor ratio would be one of the things that I would look at, Steve. Um, your parts to labor ratio should be um, a 55% labor and, and 45% parts approximately. Uh, if you're running a, um, a general repair shop, you're actually a little more specialty with Ford diesel, et cetera. But if you're running a gen, I'd throw you in that same pile, basically. If you're running a general repair shop, we're looking for 55% labor and 45% parts. If you're running a German car shop, uh, we're closer to 50-50 today, probably 48-52. Um, but that also could be it. Are you charging uh, enough labor? Uh, every one of you, um, since I've met you, has, has increased your labor rate. Um, did that, I mean, did you increase your labor rate to help with productivity? Uh, did you increase your labor rate because the labor rate wasn't enough? And then uh, what, when you increased your labor rate, what was the overall effect uh, for your business? Let's start with uh, Eric. All of the above. Um, the, not only did we increase the labor rate to what we feel was necessary based on all factors, but more importantly, to have variable labor rates. So um, I believe I have maybe 10. So... Um, you know, over 10 years old, over 20 years old, over 30 years old. Then, you know, since we work on a lot of Mercedes, we're having a lot of these SLs come in from the 80s. We have a special labor rate for those because we get, end up getting married to those things for a little while. Um, we have a labor rate for Porsches. We, um, we have a pain in the ass labor rate. <laughs> so <laughs> that customer that will, you know, obviously, you know, we know them, they're going to give us a hard time. Um, so okay. if we're going you know, go through that, we're going to get paid for it. Um, multiple, multiple labor rates has helped you um, in your business financially um, and, and also has helped you with productivity in a way. Uh, you're charging more for the text labor. Exactly. And the only way or the key way, in my opinion, to have the correct effective labor rate is with a multi-tiered labor rate. So, yeah. Um, uh, Steve just made a comment. He's opposite of what I said. So I would be looking at effective labor rate as being one of his issues. Um, and I would almost bet you a hundred bucks that, that that's part of the reason that uh, the techs aren't as productive. It's or, the, more, or the facility, uh, right? Yeah. So, I mean, if you, if you have four techs and three lifts, you know, or, or the facility is not big enough, I, I don't know his facility, but you know, it, could be where you can't get cars in and out or you can't yeah. work on enough cars or they're working in the parking lot that can affect it as well. So. I would bet they're not charging enough for labor at this point, which would help um, increase that uh, if they were getting more hours out of the car. Um, uh, now, now let me ask you a question, Eric, cause you, you, you said you have d these different labor rates. Does that equate to more time on the ticket or does that is, is, does it equate to more, just more dollars on the ticket? Uh, just more dollars. Um, you know, as far as the time goes, uh, what we do is I think we have a happy medium. So we ask the technician to price the job, right? But, you know, we're not going to let the, them run the show, right? So we're not going to have a technician go rogue on us, 
right? And yeah. as for 15 hours on a two-hour job or anything crazy like that. Um, but the service advisors also, you know, double check. So if something does not look right, they double check and then they have a, you know, discussion with the technician. Hey, why are you asking for this many hours when the book might call for this? And they usually will say, well, it's because it's rusty or the book didn't account for this or, you know, it's all wheel drive or whatever might be. So therefore, if we have both people looking at it, we feel like the technicians are getting paid the amount they should be paid for the job. What's the so, deal? Yeah. Okay. And Bill, um, you've increased labor rate. Um, did you do, again, same kind of same question as Eric, did you do it uh, for more money in the bank? Did you do it to, to help with uh, productivity? Did you do it because you were behind the eight ball on labor rate? You weren't high enough? Um, why and, and, and how did that affect your business? I had this uh, guy with gray hair stand up in front of me years ago and say, uh, why are you stealing from yourself? I think that was step one. But uh, that was just the kick in the shins that opened my eyes a little bit. Um, we raised our labor rates because we want to pay our technicians very, very well. So they are the best in their industry. So they produce as like the best in the industry. We tie it all back to them. The advisors, they want to make and be the best in the industry. They have to produce for the technicians, so we keep that whole ball rolling. We kind of close the circle that way. Um, like Eric, we run about four or five different labor rates, depending on the type of jobs and the style of jobs, but we're also not tied to the, the labor guides. Um, we, will, we, we have our quick checks with the technicians as far as how much time do you think you need versus what the book time, and then we adjust accordingly. Um, we're, we're not bashful. And if customers ask us, you know, wow, somebody will do this for X and we, we don't, we're not afraid to tell them why we're the best in the West. Uh, you want to be at the best shop? You're here. We have the best warranties, best techs, best people, best location. You want to be here. There's a lot of other places you can take your car, but you're, you're smart. You came here to see us. And with that comes a little bit of exclusivity. I think a lot of us in the industry are afraid to, tout our horn a little bit and to say how good we really are because we work our butts off to be the best. We strive to be at the top of the industry and yet we don't charge for it. Nordstrom's not bashful for charging for a shirt. I go over to San Francisco to a five-star restaurant. They're not bashful charging for their steak and their potatoes. There's no reason why we should be bashful. My de I've got BMW dealers out here charging 300 bucks an hour. They're not bashful. Yeah. So I, I'm not comparing ourselves to a BMW dealer. I think we're way better. But, uh, yeah. But you're, but you're not 300 bucks an hour, but darn it. 300 bucks an hour. But that opened my eye when I see people lined up with their wallet out going, here, just take my money to get service done on their, their, their BMW. And I'm like, and my service advisors, once in a while, they go, I don't know if we can charge that much. And I'll hand them something for, I'll get from a dealer and say, um, they're lined up out there lined up with their wallet out why can't we well, i think i think um your sense of your value and um i would also throw that in another pile so my sense of my value is what can create my pricing and whether or not i'm able to charge or not charge um you know i've got guys that are 50 dollars an hour more than another shop and they're getting it all day long and the other shop right. is struggling to sell work um i don't think it's about what you charge i think it's about how you feel about what you charge Yep. Um, I would also tell you with productivity, I have shop owners that believe that 80% would be great. And then I have other shop owners that if they're not doing at least 100%, um, they're upset uh, because it's costing their business money and it's costing them profits. And I think that's part of it. All right, I'm going to brief commercial here because believe it or not, 33 minutes has gone by since we started. Um, we have a new service advisor mastery program. Uh, it's a fantastic program. Go to our website, ifrave.com, look it up. Uh, we are uh, uh, moving another group through. Uh, June 22nd is the class, the start. Uh, we have three seats available. Uh, we used to have five, but Bill just took two of them. So uh, um, yay. And uh, if you're interested in that, we'd love to have you. Uh, uh, and we'd love to get that class uh, uh, filled up the way that we'd like to fill it up. Uh, and it is a, an exceptional class. <clears throat> All right, now um, back to back to business. Uh, Tom, you've increased your labor rates uh, over time. I know because you work on my cars. 
Are you using a um, are you using a matrix on your labor also, or are you uh, increasing labor from book time? Um, I'm actually not using a matrix on labor as of right now. Really leaning towards that. I've just made so many adjustments lately that uh, uh, we haven't. Uh, taking the next leap, but I do have different diag rates than uh, repair rates. And then obviously I have some can jobs that have a little bit different rates, but we do, we do adjust book times uh, at least 10% uh, on anything that's not a can job. Uh, if it's book time calls for three, we're usually selling it for, you know, 3.3 to 3.5 if, if applicable, you know, and then same thing. We have our technicians make a note if they're going to go do a, exhaust manifold and every bolt looks like it's going to shear off because it's all rusty we make sure they ask for an extra couple hours so we we take care of the techs we uh we live eat sleep and breathe the 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 three-legged stool theory where everybody everybody has to win right so my team has to win i have to win and my customers have to win so when it comes to pricing my labor rate i make sure i keep that in mind and honestly, even though all three legs are supposed to be equal, uh, my team actually outranks just about everything. Uh, so I make sure I take good care of my team because I've got the team that everybody would uh, would kill for. Therefore, I got to take good care of them, take good care of me, and I need them to uh, work here so long that they can't even get out of their car in the morning to to hobble in. They're so old, you know. So, so I just buy labor rates flat out because I have to. I have to. I have to charge what's fair so I can pay what's fair. And I can earn what's fair, and I can be around for years to deliver my customers what's fair. So uh, I try to balance everything else out to where I don't have to raise rates too too often. But uh, if I've got everything else balanced out and I'm still not meeting the needs of all three legs of the stool, it's time to adjust rates, right? Absolutely. Um, so let's um, let's talk about performance enhanced pay systems um, instead of paying just hourly or just salary or flat rate, frankly. Um, let's talk a little bit about performance enhanced. Um, and since I do so many different pay systems for our clients and, and group members and stuff, uh, I'm not sure who everybody's on. I know bills because I wrote bills pretty, not very long ago, um, and we made an adjustment not too long ago. Um, uh, Eric, are you on a performance enhanced uh, pay system? Are you guys bonus for more productivity, et cetera? Uh, yes. So, um... I think you wrote mine as well, been a couple of years, um, but it's awesome. They love it. And we start at a low number. So therefore, you know, they start earning extra money. They get, they get a really great hourly rate, right? But then they start earning extra money when they hit 35 hours and then 40 and then 45. Um, and then of course, you know, they're getting more money for things like ASEs, master tech, you know, um, comeback ratio, less than 2%, stuff like that. Okay. Did, um, uh, do you remember before you put, do you remember what the effect was when you put it in play? Um, I, f I was all salary before. Right. And I think I, you know, and I paid well, you know, so I had people stay with me a long time. And, and so since I felt like I was paying them really well, you know, the expectation was they're going to give me great productivity sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't work. So um, this being on a weekly, we pay weekly, um, kind of hits home. So if somebody has an off week and we were talking about, you know, they're on their cell phone a little too much or, you know, their, their breaks are longer or they're talking, you know, going down rabbit holes with every story that comes up, you know, they feel it, you know, on that week's pay. And then you'll see they'll kick into gear again the next week because probably they, they had a conversation with the wife because the wife saw the paycheck. So, <laughs> so sometimes I don't even have to say a thing. Sometimes the wives do it for me. So, yeah. um, so your, your sense of it was when you were able to put those in place that you increased production in your business. Yeah, because uh, it was more of a driving factor for the technicians. Um, I think a good pay system uh, helps not only helps manage uh, people, but also uh, can it be a very big incentive to increasing uh, production and staying focused. Uh, Bill, we just I know we just put I know we put some in about a year ago. I know we made some adjustments. Um, Bill, what's your sense of having a performance enhanced pay system in play? 
I think it's our success is tied to productivity and that productivity is tied to the technicians and the advisors both having tangible goals to improve their life. Um, giving salary, I mean, a lot of shops, they default to salary. They think, oh, ethically and morally, that they think that's the right way to go. And I don't think we absolutely, I don't think we can get come close to unlocking the potential of our teams and the service that we can provide if we don't incentivize the uh, benefits of having a performance-based pay scale. Um, our customer service is, and we're going to be a AAA uh, top shop this year because we made that a part of our program. Um, our productivity is off the charts, and we can afford to pay our people enough to live in the San Francisco Bay Area without working three jobs and doing Uber. Um, that's all part of the performance pay scale. If I just said to somebody, hey, I'm going to pay 80 grand to be a technician, and they produce 70%, I wouldn't be on this panel because I'd be doing something else. I'd be broke. You have to be able to have the folks make the money that you're actually paying them. If they're going to be there eight hours, they've got to produce. And going back to what, what, what Tom was saying or Eric was saying on the three-legged stool, I think as shop owners, we, we make it a ladder. And it's the customers in the, in the, in the shop, and we end up giving away our own paychecks regularly because we're afraid to ask our people to do a better job. Um, uh, Tom, uh, you, I'm almost afraid to ask you cause you do so many things different than what I recommend. Um, <laughs> although you're very successful. Um, do, do you have performance enhanced, uh, pay systems in place? I do. Yeah. That's uh, that's not one you'll get me in trouble on. So, uh, <laughs> I do have a couple guys that are still on flat rate. That's a big no, no. I know, uh, I know you can't really do that for too much longer. The problem is, is they've just been doing it and making six figures for so long. They, uh, don't want me to touch it. Um, but we'll eventually have to adjust it, but yes, performance, uh, enhanced pay plans for advisors and technicians is a must, uh, makes, makes management very simple. You, you can't have technicians in Utah making over six. You can't have six-figure technicians in Utah. It's not possible. Oh, it doesn't work here, right? Yeah, it doesn't work in Utah because Utah is different. It's weird. No, <laughs> no. I've, uh, I, I call them animals because I thought that was a, a compliment. But uh, I've, just, I've got the guys, you know what I mean? I've got, a, I've got five ATECs in my shop. Uh, rock nobody, stars. Nobody gets to have there that. There you go. Right? Rock, rock stars. stars. That's the word, right? Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. call them that too. I, yeah. They just they just eat jobs, you know. So minor animals. Spit <laughs> them out. But, I love but, it. No, sorry, sorry to get off track there, but no. Uh, so uh, morally, uh, let's talk morally, right? Technicians that are listening, uh, if I was to pay you just a flat uh, amount of money every single day, some days you're gonna have, you know, there might be a slow day. You only have six hours worth of work to do, and that's the day that's great that you're on salary, right? But then. There's also going to be a day that's, you know, coming up here soon, mid-June and July or July in, in, in Utah, I can sell every tech probably 20 hours a day. So if I have you uh, coming in an hour early and working through lunch and, and almost sprinting in between cars to knock out 20 hours and you still make only that flat salary, um, you just made me a ton more money, but what did you get? You know, so we all have to win together. You know, it's, it's a game for me. So that's why you have to have performance enhanced pay plans. If I lose, you lose. If you win, I win. And when it, when it, you set things up that way, uh, I don't know about you guys, but my team hates to lose. So we win quite often. We're celebrating a lot more than we're we're adjusting. So, so that, that's my theory on performance enhanced is everybody gets to win together. So the more money the tech makes, I love writing huge paychecks. I got a big Amen. smile on my face as yes. I'm signing them because mine is mine. Mine's a percentage of theirs. So I love it. So. Um, I think, I think it's really interesting, you know, that, that um, in the shops that have these performance enhanced pay, pay systems, not only are they usually more productive than other shops, I think it's got more to do with just the pay system, obviously, 
but they also have technicians and people, tech, uh, service advisors actually getting paid more and the owners actually making more. And uh, I would also equate it to happier customers. When everybody's focused, you get the job in, you get it diagnosed, you, you get it out, uh, you do a good job, you don't have comebacks. Uh, customers are very happy if they get good service to go along with that. So I think uh, customer satisfaction is actually high along with that also. Win-win. Um, how about, how about um, let's talk about, uh, you know, the, the, the typical problems that you see in a shop uh, when with production. You know, I don't get my parts on time. It takes too long for the service advisor to order. Uh, I get pulled off of jobs routinely so that I can do this $29 oil change. Um, do, do you think your communications with your team and your team meetings have increased your productivity? And we'll start with Bill on this one. With, without a doubt, Cecil. It's, I, I just got just finished a book by Lencioni, and it talks about communication where sometimes we as owners feel like, hey, I told you. I don't want to make you feel like an idiot when I have to tell you over and over and over again. But what Lencioni was teaching, and it, it really spoke true to me, was the amount of times that you reiterate something and why it's your passion, why productivity, why ARO, um, why it's so important. It's not that you think your team doesn't get it. It's they need to feel your passion for it. And once they see that, okay, hey, Bill talks about productivity every time he's talking to me. Before he asks about what's for lunch, he says, hey, how's your productivity? That is tantamount. <coughs> hey, how's your CSI? Whatever your big levers are, you talk about it over and over and over. It is who you eat, sleep, and drink. And that is that is your biggest driver. What gets measured gets done. That is a it's a it's almost a it's a catchphrase now, but it's reality. And we have to find better ways to do it. Um, techs will always find a way to point to why they're not productive. Advisors will tell you why they can't get stuff sold. Take away the crutches, pull the big levers, get out of the way, and let your team fly. Yeah, I don't I don't really care about why we can't do something. I want to know how to do it. Amen. Um, I don't care what it is, frankly. Um, stop putting uh, stop putting uh, uh, barriers in my way. Right. Um, don't tell me what we can't do. I know what we can do. I've done it. Um, Take away the crutches. We've, we've done it. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, Eric. Uh, do you have routine uh, meetings with your employees, and are you having those discussions? Yes. Um, every morning we have a meeting. Um, we want to start implementing, you know, a, another meeting, either whether it be lunchtime or just a quick huddle. Um, you and I can work on that tomorrow if you want. Absolutely, um, baby, we will. <laughs> and, you know, you asked about what happens when an old change comes in. You got to pull tech off a job or something like that. You know, we, we do everything we can for that not to happen. But, you know, if you have a really great customer that comes in and needs a tire pair, you're going to do the tire pair. Right. So, you know, if you can, you're going to put them in a loaner. If you can't, then you're going to do the tire pair no matter what. The, the difference, I think, is if the entire team is on the same page and there's a mutual respect, then when the service advisor goes to a technician and says, hey, I really need your help, they're not going to get a lot of pushback. And that goes both ways. If the, ser if the technician goes to the service advisor and says, hey, you know, I, I broke this or I need this or what have you, the service advisor, advisor is going to do their best to take care of the tech. Yeah. You know, if we can build to the customer, we're going to build to the customer. If not, you know, either way, we're going to take care of the tech. So, well, um, that yeah, but you're, it's easy for you to say that. And, and I, I agree with you 100% because you're winning. And, you know, um, uh, Tom talks about winning. If you're routinely winning in your shop, your employees are winning, your customers are winning, you're winning. If I need to pay for that thing or if I need to pull somebody off a car, no big deal because we're winning, right? And and I think creating that winning mentality, that you can do it mentality is is part of, the, uh, of that. And we all work together. We win and lose together uh, uh, as, as a team. And you have to start um, somewhere. So, I mean, yeah. on the shops that are struggling a little bit, I mean, I guess you could keep struggling or you could put in a, fall, a few small wins, right. right, and start building that momentum. Well, it's kind of this thing about trust. Do, 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 do my people trust each other, <clears throat> right? You know, I mean, if, if I need to go to the service advisor, hey, say, hey, there's another, I need another half hour in this, 
Do I trust that my service advisor is going to do everything possible to get it? And if not, that the owner is going to make sure that happens when it's legit, right? And then, you know, does my service advisor trust that when he goes to his tech and says, hey, I hate to do this, but I got to pull you off this car and, and give you this, you know, waiter thing. Uh, it's not scheduled. It just is one of our better customers. They got a problem. We got to take care of it, that, that we're doing the right, the right thing. I think in, in shops that have high trust, it's so much easier because everybody's kind of on the same page and they know that, you know, he's not pulling me off to try to make my life miserable. He's pulling me off because that's what has to be done today. It's, it's best for our clients. <clears throat> Tom, would you speak to that? Yeah, you, you nailed it right there. So usually um, I've been thinking about this a lot. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be teaching the service advisor tech communication class coming up here in just a, a few weeks. So I've been thinking a lot. I, I've really been, I've really been observe, observing the, the kind of interactions between our, you know, Lisa, my office manager and the advisors and the techs and just kind of seeing how everything works just from an outside view. And uh, almost every time that there's some kind of hiccup, it's because the, the person that got pulled, like you go pull a tech off, you know, you go pull a guy off of a 20-hour job to do a flat repair, um, and they get upset about it is because they don't understand why. So, so we, we obviously had a lack of communication somewhere. We don't, we, we didn't make the whole team aware of what the, what the bigger goal was. And, and they didn't have an understanding of a lot of times the tech doesn't understand what the service advisor is up against. And then a lot of times the advisor doesn't understand kind of the tech's mentality. So we've been working really hard to, to, to continue to bridge that gap. So, so that's usually what it is. Uh, everybody kind of needs to understand what the, what the team goal is, what everybody's individual goals are. And then the most important part is why, you know, uh, don't, don't ask somebody to go out and produce 10 hours because you said so you explain to them exactly why you want them to produce the 10 hours. Once everybody kind of understands everybody's position goals and understands that we're trying to keep a good balance of taking care of ourselves, our team, and the customers. Then when you do have those little hiccups that come up, there's just that understanding that, gosh, this guy's not, this advisor's not so bad. He's not out here making me do a flat repair because he hates me. He's out here asking me to do a flat repair because he wants to, to keep these great customers because we understand that the customer that needs a $10 flat is usually always a customer that also needs that 20-hour job that I'm currently working on. So... So working on communication and just a generally general understanding of everybody's position, that's kind of where the magic happens and, and you no longer have to put all those little fires out within your day. Okay, we're, we're, man, this one's running out fast on me. It's just going so fast. I want to talk about goals and goal setting and, and working with your people in relation to their goals. Um, uh, and and so, so let's start with Eric. Eric, do you have goals for your staff and when they're if you do and they're not hitting them what what are you doing <clears throat> usually we have you know a conversation at lunchtime um well first yes we have goals um but i think what's more interesting is we don't just have production goals and we just don't have sales goals we have their personal goals you know do they want to buy a house do they want to buy a new car do they want three dogs do they want to get married this year do they want to go on a vacation to Bora Bora whatever it happens to be um you know some people are more into that than others some people really strive for those goals and some people don't but if I can help them make those goals I'm going to do everything I can do to uh, help that but we have meetings about it um you know obviously the production factor is what helps them get to those goals um their personal goals and uh uh, they're doing really good. Um, I don't have to have a lot of meetings, <laughs> so that's good. <laughs> so, you know, obviously, you know, it's two years later and, and the shop is running a lot more efficiently and, and uh, a lot better. Um, what did goals play in, in that part of getting everyone kind of on the same page? Um, it's It's just cohesion you know with all of us striving to be better and and at the top of our game you know so therefore it just all 
kind of meshes, you know, all the numbers mesh, all the goals mesh, all, you know, we want, you know, they talked about the three, like it's dual, you know, what I always say is, you know, you have to ask yourself three questions. Is it good for the shop? Is it good for the car? And is it good for the customer? If you can answer yes on all three, then yes, you should sell that job. If you answer right. no on any of those three, you better sit back and see what's going on. And fix um, it. it just all goes together. And, and it goes back to the coaching. When you have, you know, all these things to look at, now you have a direction, you have, you know, when you come in the morning, you have numbers you can look at. And when you see something's not right, you can adjust. Um, before, you know, I was just winging it, I guess. I mean, I did a good job winging it, but um, this is much simpler, much easier, and much less stressful. And, and, and much more rewarding, right? For, I mean, for it, sure. In, in a lot of ways, not just money, but time, I think life. Um, uh, Bill, the goal question, do you have, do you have goals for your people and, do they have goals and are you just, are you talking about, does that lead to production or not? It sure does. I think it's monumental to production. Um, you've got to have a target if you're going to hit it. And the, our techs, they know what they want to do in their life. And I try and make sure that I provide the opportunity for them to do it. Same thing with our advisors. Um, what Eric said is true. You know, do we, do we talk to our people? Do we know what they're looking for? You know, three dogs going to Bora Bora, they get married as an owner. I think it's a it's a big part of our job to provide the opportunity. If not, we might have something we got to look in the mirror about. Um, providing that opportunity is monumental. Job one in productivity. Um, if they all if we're all marching in the same direction, we're we're going to have a better chance of getting there than everybody running around, um, you know, scattered. The every two weeks, my. Um, Technicians and my advisors get their paycheck. And with their paycheck, they get um, their personal KPIs and the team KPIs. So they know every two weeks they have a check-in on paper, on time, intentional as to where they are related to their peers and related to the shop goals. And, you know, I had a little pushback on that. Well, how come everybody knows what I'm doing? Well, don't suck and nobody will – you'll be okay. And it's amazing <laughs> – how quickly that turned around and that one person that was not doing well, all of a sudden their productivity jumped 20 points and he hasn't looked back. And yeah, it was a tough conversation, but that was after, you know, what Eric was talking about. Yeah. You have that lunch conversation and you may have the come on into the office. And then you're like, you know, that, you know, you put your Jack Welsh book on the counter and they're like, "Uh Oh, am I going to get shot? And it's like, no, we, maybe we just need to, Let's, let's just put up the mirror and let's put up the scorecard and let's make work fun, but also make it um, something that we're all trying to achieve. It's kind of amazing when you, when you show them that they can really do it, how much they can do. Yeah. Um, I think when people really see that it's possible that they start to believe in themselves, there's so much more there for them. Um, and I love the idea of win, win, win. And I also like the idea that Tom says, you know, it is a three-legged school, but stool, but my employees are more important uh, because they're the ones that are going to make the customers happy. They're the ones that are going to earn the money for me. Um, and I'm always going to lean that way. Uh, and I want to show them that they can get the job done. Now we're, we're, we're near the end. We got about three minutes left. So in a minute or less, um, uh, what, what would you, what advice would you give uh, to somebody, uh, you know, about their increasing uh, the production? And we'll start with Tom, Tom. Uh, since how we were finishing on management, I would probably start there. Uh, so management, and there's no management without goals. So you got to have a goal. You've got to get everybody to buy in on the goal. You've got to measure the goal. And then you've got to provide constant feedback as to where people are at. And then you start it all over again. So uh, it starts with us, business owners that are listening. Uh, it, it's, it's on you first, and then you can trickle it down. Uh, and so that's, that's what my advice would be. Always on, on the business owner. Uh, Bill, what would your advice be? Success rises and falls on management. You, just what Tom said. You've got to be able to get a set a goal for anybody to hit it. And then provide the means and get out of the way and let them do their job. They will they will raise to levels that you've never dreamt of. It's amazing when you you know, when you really know what you're doing, how much simpler it is to get the job done and make yep. it happen. Um, Eric, uh, we give you the last word. 
Sure. Uh, exactly what Bill and Tom said. On top of that, learn the numbers, know the numbers, learn how to calculate the numbers, and then all you do is fine tune. Don't make a thousand changes at one time. Make a change, right? Then make another change and keep pushing forward. Amen. All right, I want to thank everybody. This was a great one. I, I could do another hour on this in a second without even thinking about it. Um, if you would like to uh, uh, see other podcasts or, or download this as a podcast, you can check us out on uh, at the Institute's Leading Edge podbean.com or you can find us on iTunes and Spotify by searching for The Leading Edge. Uh, uh, look for the gear with the mic and the headphones, which we don't have an example of that today because I'm not in my office. Uh, you can submit questions or topics direct through Facebook or by emailing institute at iforabe.com. Once again, guys, wow, this was a fantastic uh, podcast. We may have to put the, the four of us together again and, and, uh, and continue this. And uh, Eric, I will see you uh, tomorrow. Thanks, awesome. guys, for being Thank here. Thank you. Really Be good, guys. Bye. Bye-bye now. Join us next time as we give some insight into our intense advisor training program, along with some techniques and strategies to help you close more sales. Subscribe at institutesleadingedge.podbean.com so you don't miss out. Or find us on Spotify and iTunes at The Leading Edge. Join the Institute group on Facebook and get advice from other top shop owners as well as our experienced consultants. Brought to you by the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Thanks for listening.